Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 7. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. You see, if you read the Bible, guess what? You'll get smart. Say amen. Some of y'all are like, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, but if you read the Bible, the Bible has always taught that the world is round. Job chapter 26, this is an awesome verse. Job chapter 26, verse 7. The Bible says, He, speaking of God, stretches out the north over the empty place and hangs the earth upon nothing. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? God is a God who can do what no other false so-called pseudo-God can do. God can create the earth and then hang it on nothing. Nothing. God is an awesome God, amen? He can hang the earth on nothing. We, hang, we gotta hang something, I gotta hang it on a string. I gotta hang it on something, man. I mean, I gotta hang it on nothing. God hangs the entire earth on nothing. The Bible says that he, the Father, sits on the circle of the earth. Now, understand something. Let's be clear. John isn't trying to debate whether the earth is round or flat. John isn't trying to, to debate. He's stating a fact of the future. John is simply saying there will be a day when four angels will have the ability to stop the wind in every quadrant, in every direction, north, south, east, and west. Angels will have the ability to stop the wind. Think about that. The wind will cease. I mean, imagine there's no wind. Imagine there's no breeze. You see, we take the wind and we take the breeze for granted. I mean, we want to be cooled off or it's hot in the house or something like that. And you go outside and you stand in the wind and you just go, ah, feel the wind in your face and in your hair or lack of it. (laughs) Feel it on your bald head. Feel the wind. We take the wind for granted. Jesus didn't take the wind for granted. He was talking to this guy named Nicodemus, who was a lawyer. And he said to Nicodemus, he said, Nick, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, oh, how can you be born again? How can you go back in your mother's womb and come back out? Real smart lawyer. Jesus says, oh, Nick, you can't understand this. You can't even understand the wind. He says, the wind comes from where it wants and goes where it wants, and you don't know. 
where it goes. You don't know where it comes from. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You can't figure it out. It's not something that your flesh can figure out. It's something that's done by the Spirit. Jesus didn't take the wind for granted. We do. The angels are able to hold back the wind. I mean, think about it. What if you're on a sailboat and you're out in the middle of the sea? I mean, you need the wind for your engine. You need the wind. But there is no wind. You're just kind of out there, just hanging. You're going to be a crispy critter because the sun's going to come and scorch you because you can't move. There's no wind. I don't know if you've been to L.A., if you've been in Los Angeles, California, but the pollution in Los Angeles, in the city of Los Angeles, is awful. It's so thick you can cut it with a knife. Literally, you mean you can't even see the buildings, it's so thick. Well, imagine there's no wind to move the air. Maybe children or adults or people, they've got lung problems and breathing problems, but with no wind to move the air, to move the carbon monoxides around, people are going to die. Thousands and thousands of people are going to die. The wind is important, this is big. But these angels are sent to hold back the wind. I don't know if you've ever walked outside when the wind wasn't blowing. Have you ever been standing outside and the wind's not blowing and, 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 and there's no wind at all? Now, just a few times in my life, maybe I can remember where there was no wind, nothing, still, silent, no movement at all. It's scary. It's very scary. Now, there's no wind and this isn't localized now. This is not affecting just the triangle area. You knew that, right? Say amen. You knew that. No, this is the whole world. The entire earth has no wind. When there is no wind blowing, there will be a whole ecological change in the sky. Notice in our text, God puts everything on hold until he has the opportunity. Notice to seal the servants of God. Did you see that? Notice that. Now, this idea of sealing, you've heard it before. It speaks of ownership. If you're taking notes, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, you ought to write that down and look it up in your own time. Paul the apostle writing the church at Ephesus, he says, having been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Bible teaches when you became a Christian, and the Holy Spirit was placed in your life and in your heart, the Bible says that you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, you are God's package. You, God owns you now. God owns you. You're his package. You were sealed. Sealed for what? Sealed for the day in which he will come again. That seal, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is a seal that God will someday, it's a guarantee that God will someday come back and take you to heaven. So you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says this. Who, speaking of Jesus, has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So being sealed by God means that you belong to Jesus. 
and his spirit lives within you. Jesus has claimed you. He owned you. He put his mark on you that you belong to him. And someday you are coming back. He's coming back to receive you to himself. You are sealed. That's a New Testament teaching. Well, not only is this sealing a New Testament teaching, but it is also an Old Testament teaching, Ezekiel chapter 9. I was reading this uh, just a couple of days ago, as a matter of fact, and even yesterday, and Ezekiel 9, read that in your own time, actually read 8 and 9. It's an incredible story. The Bible says that the people of God, was, they were evil. And in the temple of God, this kind of blew me away. I don't, maybe I saw it before, maybe I, just, I didn't, but it just kind of really kind of touched my heart. That, that there in the temple in Jerusalem, the people of God had fallen into gross immorality and idolatry. And it says that in the temple of God, that there was pornography on the walls inside of God's house. Isn't it shocking? I mean, I can't imagine walking through that door into this sanctuary and seeing pornography and every kind of evil and idolatry written on the walls in here. I'd just go crazy. I'd I'd implode or something. But that's what was going on at the time. And so God is going to bring severe judgment on the city there in Ezekiel chapter 9. Because every imaginable evil was taking place in the house of the Lord and the angels are ready to judge. But before the judgment, a man wearing linen with an ink well in his hand and a writing instrument in the other hand was to go throughout the city and place a mark on the foreheads of everyone in the city who had a heart for God and those who had a heart and a compassion for God's people and that they would escape the judgment. They were to be sealed. Now, in Revelation chapter 13, the Bible says the Antichrist is going to put a mark or a seal on the foreheads of people. Isn't it interesting how Satan loves to counterfeit that which is real? The Antichrist is going to put a seal. We are sealed by God. Satan's going to put a seal or a mark on the foreheads of people during the tribulation period or on their right hand. And without that mark, during the tribulation, without that mark, you will not be able to buy, nor sell, nor function in the world. And if you take the mark, if you were to take the mark, you are pledging your allegiance and your devotion to the devil. Now, last week, someone asked me after service, they said, Rodney, you mean to tell me that if during the tribulation, if I'm here, brother, I pray you're not. But if, if I'm here, he says, during the tribulation, he says, if I take the mark, but after I've taken the mark, he says, do you mean to tell me that I will not be able to become a Christian? I won't be able to receive Christ if I take the mark of the beast? Do you mean to tell me that, Rodney, he said? And I said, that's exactly what I mean to tell you. If you take the mark of the beast, listen, if you're here this morning or this afternoon and you're you're a Christian and you're not a Christian and you are planning on being around during the tribulation. 
If you take the mark of the beast, you will not be able to become a Christian because it's in taking the mark. Listen, it's in taking the mark that you are pledging your allegiance to the devil and you will be doomed, the Bible says, forever and ever and ever. How sad. So listen, you are either marked by the Holy Spirit or in that day, you will be marked by the Antichrist, by the false Christ, by the false spirit. Either way, you will be marked. Interesting. And that's a whole other teaching in itself, and I've got some really cool stuff I want to share with you. But be that as it may, the mark of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian, we are sealed. So these angels are holding back the winds of judgment until the servants are sealed. Did you see that? Until the servants, in verse 3, are sealed. Now, here's the million-dollar question. The million-dollar question, who are the servants? Who are the servants? The million dollar question. Well, I think God knew that there would be a whole lot of people asking who are the servants. And so God clearly tells us in verses four through eight. Notice this in verse four. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. One hundred and forty four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Did you see that? 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. In verse 5, of the tribe of Judah, I need your help. How many were there? Let me hear you. Of the tribe of Reuben, of the tribe of Gad, of the tribe of Asher, of the tribe of Naphtali, of the tribe of Manasseh, of the tribe of Simeon, of the tribe of Levi, of the tribe of Issachar, of the tribe of Zebulun, of the tribe of Joseph, and of the tribe of Benjamin. 12,000, do the math. 12 times 12,000 equals 144,000 sealed servants, the children of Israel. Now, I point that out to you. Because, I don't know why, but there are so many groups who want to be the 144,000. It's amazing to me. The Jehovah's Witnesses claimed to be the 144,000, but they had a little problem. Because their group grew larger than 144,000, and guess what? They had to redefine who the 144,000 were. So the 144,000 are the cream of the crop, Jehovah's Witnesses. And all the rest of them are earth dwellers, people who dwell on the earth. It was the Mormons, historical Mormonism. They claimed to be the 144,000. Brigham Young took the teaching of Joseph Smith and taught that the Mormons are the 144,000. And you guessed it, they grew past 144,000 and they too had to redefine who the 144,000 were. The children of God, this is a group that rose up during the Jesus movement in the 60s, mid 60s, late 60s, the Jesus movement. 
They claim to be the 144,000. Ellen G. White of the Seventh-day Adventists said the followers of Ellen G. White are the 144,000. The Worldwide Church of God garnered Ted Armstrong, following in the footsteps of his father, Herbert W. Armstrong, claimed to be the 144,000. Now, thank the Lord. Here recently, as I understand, they have changed that position, and now they're seeking to get back to the Bible. Amen? It's good to get back to the Bible. But there were a lot of people who were around during that period in which the Worldwide Church of God was claiming to be the 144,000. Now, it's obvious to me, it's obvious to me that the 144,000 is Calvary Chapel. (laughs) Just kidding, you know that. No, the 144,000 are not Calvary Chapel, and they're not Seventh-day Adventists, and they're not Mormons, and they're not Jehovah's Witnesses. We just read it. The 144,000 are the children of Israel from the 12 tribes of Israel. That's who the 144,000 are. Now, you might remember from the Old Testament. You remember your story. Jacob had 12 sons. And the 12 sons became the 12 tribes. Now, as you study this, I think you can go back in your own time and you'll find some very interesting things. But there's one interesting thing that I want to point out for you. Of the 12 tribes, did you notice who is missing? The tribe of Dan is missing in action. Why? Well, the rabbis go back to the blessing that was pronounced by Jacob on the 12 sons. But when Jacob came to Dan in Genesis 49, 17, he said, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backward. You see, the rabbis and some Bible scholars believe that the false Christ or get this, the Antichrist will come from the tribe of of Dan. Many good Bible scholars and rabbis believe that. And some believe that the tribe of Dan is MIA, missing in action, because of idolatry. Because of idolatry. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 29, 21, God said those tribes that get involved in idolatry, the Lord's anger will be kindled against them and the Lord will separate them from all the tribes of Israel. And that is exactly what happened to Dan. They were cut off because of idolatry. You see, God gave Dan some beachfront property down south. Dan didn't like that property. So he moved up north. And by the Sea of Galilee, that is where they made the golden calves and began to worship. So Dan wasn't happy with what God gave them. He moved up north. He moved without God telling him to move. And guess what happened? He found himself involved in paganism and idolatry. Let that be a lesson to us. Let that be a lesson to us. We need to move as God moves us. Amen? Because you don't know what waits over there. Be careful. Who you don't know. Well, that happened to Dan. And because they got involved in in idolatry and pagan worship, as Deuteronomy 29 said, Dan was blotted out of the tribes. Now, you want to see the grace and the mercy of God. Read this in your own time. Ezekiel chapter 48, verses 1, 2, and 3. Ezekiel 48 verses 1, 2, and 3, we see the mercy and the grace of God as the Lord comes back and establishes his kingdom. And get this, the first tribe... 
to get land when the Lord comes back is guess who? Dan. Interesting. So these 144,000 are sealed and sent into the world. 144,000 sealed Jewish believers. Who will stand? The 144,000 sealed Jewish believers. And notice the second group that is able to stand. We find them in verses 9 through 17. If you're there, would you say a hearty amen? And these things I looked. After these things I looked. And behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all the nations, tribes, people, and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes. Notice, with palm branches in their hands. Speaks of victory. And crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God Let's read verse 12 together saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the heavenly elders answered, saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know, John says, I don't know, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. And what are they doing? They are serving him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For verse 17 is one of the most beautiful verses in all of the Bible. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd or feed them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful verse? Notice the second group that is able to stand. We've already met them in chapter 6. In chapter 6, under the fifth seal, if you were here last week, the martyrs are praying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you not judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And these slaughtered martyrs are given white robes, and they're told to be patient until the completed number of martyrs is complete. Well, here in chapter 7, the number is complete. And they are now brought into the heavenly scene. These have come out of the great tribulation. Did you get that? Now, because the scriptures say that these have come out of, stay with me here, very important, that the, all the Bible's important, but this is very important just because I'm talking about it right now. Th these have come out of the great tribulation. I do not believe that these people are a part of the bride of Christ. This is a different group of saved believers. A different group. They have come out of the tribulation. I do not believe they're a part of the church. Well, why do you say that, Rodney? Well, if they were a part of the church, John would have known them. Did you get that? John did not know them. John doesn't know who these people are. 
Now in Revelation chapter 20, verse four, and I saw thrones and they sat on them. That will be the church. And judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness. That will be those martyred during the tribulation to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or the image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So John sees this second group, those who were martyred during the tribulation period, those who were put to death by the Antichrist because they refused to worship him and to take the mark of the beast. So I do not believe that these people are a part of the bride of Christ. Also notice in verse 15 in your Bibles, they are standing before the throne, before the throne. Revelation chapter 3 verse 21 speaking of the church says that we are sitting with Jesus on the throne and ruling and reigning with him. The church, Christians, we are not standing before the throne in the heavenly scene. We are sitting with Jesus and ruling with him. Well, not only that, but notice again in verse 15, and they serve day and night. They are servants in the temple. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.